What's up, man? How's it going? Good, Cody. How are you? Pretty good. It's been some time. Yeah. Except for me bothering you with questions. <laughs> <laughs> I always appreciate your help, man. Thank you so much. No problem. I like I like talking to coaches that care enough to dig in and learn instead of just kind of doing what they've always done. Oh, thank you. It actually... Um... I forget how many months ago it was when I sent you that one question. You were like, this is cutting edge. I sent it to one of the guys I work with. I'm like, this is the dude from WKO. This makes me feel so good. <laughs> <laughs> so it, was, uh, it was awesome, man. How you been with all this new normal? I kind of hate that term, but it, I guess it's sort of what it is. Uh, I mean, better than a lot of people, right? Yeah. Like, I work from home every day, like more time with my dog and wife and like, less money on gas. I miss bike racing for sure. Like it's easier to stay motivated with that, but mm -hmm. I'm not super social in general. So <laughs> it's, I've been, I trained more than ever before. Cause I was like, eh, it doesn't really matter what happens if I like overcook it a little bit. There's no races to go to. Yeah. I did way more volume and way less structure than ever. Where, where do you live? Where do you live again? About an hour north of Boulder. Okay, Collins. so that was, I thought a lot of you guys were local for that meeting uh, last year, so that's cool. Just about everybody is local to the area. Okay, good deal. Well, I appreciate you sitting down and talking about this. I think this is going to be really, uh, it'll be very educational for a lot of people, but also super interesting. Um, I really like the simplifying of things, and I think that that's a kind of, some I've written some different blogs just about that and just, you know, kind of what we had talked about in the email of, you know, I'll hear somebody who, who's pretty experienced bike racer who's like, oh man, I got a race coming up and like my CTL's dropping. And I, there was actually a guy who just emailed me who works with another coach of ours. And I had just pinged him. Hey, how you doing? He, I kind of brought him on and passed him on to somebody. He just won a race in Texas. And was like, hey, my, I do have a question. Like I had asked about, you know, my CTLs drop in and uh, can you like look into that for me? And I was like, this is amazing. And, I, and he's a new, new, new to training. But when he had first came on, he was riding just way too much. And so I'm like, hey, you know, this is a great thing to ask your coach. But um, I don't want to give you like a snapshot like coaching just I'd have to look in everything but um weren't you riding a ton and like you just won so it's you know that one number is not the end-all be-all and so it's just interesting like from very experienced to new like it's and I think even as a coach you find some things and you like draw some conclusions and you like latch on to something and then that's like the bible and I think that's kind of I think somebody was talking about this at the meeting and just was a really good refresher to be like just as we get in training ruts, you can get in a coaching rut too, you know, like just doing the same thing. And that's one thing that I've learned from some of our conversations and emails, just thinking about different stuff. And, um, but yeah, what's kind of your take on that? What's, what do you have? Like you were, you've, you've been working on ways of making things simpler or. Yeah. With that? Yeah. It's a lot of like kind of what you're getting at is it gets so easy to, do you know in education they call it teaching to the test mm, like mm -hmm. you start fixating on one number mm. and then you make a decision about if that number should be higher or lower if it's good or bad once you start hearing like moral words with a number good or bad like that's now you already know that like 
you or this person are kind of off on how they're using this number or this set of numbers. Because yeah. it's not good or bad. No, none of these metrics are good or bad. They're the right number for that day and that time and that athlete. Or even more importantly, the change in those numbers is what we really care about. So okay. to back up a step, it's super important to have really good fundamentals. Like people get fixated on numbers without really knowing what they mean. Mm -hmm. So anybody who has a favorite number or a favorite metric or thing about something, they should be able to like really clearly describe to themselves, like, what does this number actually represent? Like, what does it tell me about this athlete? Because then it can help you like make more realistic and informed decisions about how you're going to use that number. So something like CTL, that's such a good one. So many people, this is partly the people who invented CTL's fault for calling it fitness. That was just like, that was the word that popped into their brains when they invented it. It's well, not Strava. Fitness. Strava uses that, don't they? They, and we had it. Yeah, it was, we called it CTL. They called it fitness. We liked having it, things be more clear and we were trying to get away from three letter acronyms. So we oh. started calling it fitness um, as well, since that was also one of the like terms used in the original, like a Coggin book. Okay. So looking at that, you might say like, oh, if you don't have a really good understanding of that number, like the fundamental of that number, it gets really easy for an athlete or a coach to say higher is better. Mm -hmm. and, and then all of a sudden their, their entire decision-making process, which is really what this is about, is how can these numbers help you make a decision? Mm -hmm. Your decisions make you, you're, you want to make decisions to make that number higher. Mm -hmm. But if you have a good fundamental understanding of that number, it's actually telling you how much training is this athlete used to? Mm -hmm. And so now that's a totally different thing than good or bad. Because if you know how much an athlete is used to, you can make decisions about like, okay, right now, do they need to be training more than they're used to? Or do they need to be training less than they're used to? Which then they should only be answering that question if they know what's going to happen, if they train more and how much more. And I think the see, and that's the thing that I have an issue, not an issue with, but like to me, CTL makes sense, chronic training load. And maybe it's just because like it was past 42 days, if that's what you have it set to. But like fitness, I don't, it's not, to me, it's not fitness. It's like, it's what I've been training. And, and it's, it's almost yeah. just, it almost does, since there's so many more people now that have access to this, like, it's amazing to me how many people are like, oh, I use WKO. I'm like, oh, what do you use? And they're just like, oh, I have it. I don't really use it. But now they see, then they kind of blend things with Strava, which is awesome that they're, you know, bringing these, having people think about this in this way, but like you're saying, then the information kind of gets misconstrued and I think it's just more detrimental at times. So I guess it comes back to like, and dude, we jumped, we jumped into this. Like I should have, like, we should have, I don't know how I'll start. Sometimes these just start. I feel like we're, yeah. we didn't do an intro or anything, but we'll, we'll, do that. we'll do that at the end and then I'll like put it in the beginning. Yeah, you can edit it back to the beginning. <laughs> yeah. This happened with Frank Overton. We were started talking and he's like, are, are we doing this? And I'm like, oh yeah, we started 10 minutes ago. He's like, oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, so what do you, okay, so let's keep, so where where do you take this then? And I'll back up one second. I have yeah. to defend the word fitness a little bit. In exercise physiology and especially evolutionary biology, okay. fitness means something different. It means tolerance to stress. Okay. So to like a hardcore academic exercise scientist, like, oh yeah, this is fitness. 
Uh, but then like in the rest of the exercise and yeah. training world, fitness means something different. And so wires got totally crossed there. Okay. But that's kind See, of what I And that's from. the great thing. Excuses. I think I know what I'm talking about. And I don't even know, what, like, I don't even technically then knew, know what fitness meant. So that's okay. So, so keep going. So you guys are thinking of getting rid of the three letter acronyms to make this more clear or. There are just so many three letter acronyms and training metrics, right? There's CTL, there's ATL, there's TSB. And so to hopefully make things a little bit more understandable, then you, you get into things like if you're a WKO user, or oh, there's another one. Now you're using WKO to understand FRC, <laughs> yeah. MFTP. So you either have to rely on the person using it to know what those mean, like really fundamentally, or they end up like, so sometimes words are better than acronyms. It's a balance there. Mm -hmm. But every single one of those metrics it is supposed to represent something that we know is important in training, right? how much training you're used to, how much training you're doing now. You get into WKO and you get things like FRC. People think, okay, FRC, and maybe they can recite like the definition they got from the app or from a Tim webinar or something. Like, oh, good. <laughs> but they just want to make the number go up again, or maybe they think it's associated with a certain type of performance. But if you really understand what it what like physiological thing it's meant to represent, even if it's representing it imperfectly with some of the metrics do, mm -hmm. it can tell you like, what well, do you actually care if it's going up? Do you mm -hmm. care what the actual number is like the actual value or do you just care if it's changing? Mm -hmm. Well, and I've actually gotten, so Tom Bell is my coach guy from the UK and we've had some conversations after I did some testing. My FRC is surprisingly higher than I ever would have expected because I never consider myself an anaerobic type guy um but he's like honestly man for the road races and gravel that you do and the distances like your frc is kind of a little too high and because the the higher it is the more lactate you're going to create when you go anaerobic it's kind of it, in the equation of it all pushes your ftp down like we definitely don't need to work that capacity and i think when you're saying you know that that good and bad I really started switching my mindset on that when VLA max came in vogue and people started talking about it and it wasn't low as bad or high as good. It's just different. It describes you differently. And that's, I think having new metrics like that come out is changing how we're thinking about these equations of like, and Tom said this to me, he's like, you know, higher sprint is not better for everybody. And that's, you know, I don't even know where we got this Patrick guy coaches. We always say like turning the dials and somebody, I think said this in a podcast, but it is, it's like, maybe you need a little bit more sprint, but you might sacrifice a little FTP and it's, how do you find that balance? And I think this is a really good conversation to have so that for the longest time I was thinking, you know, okay, I'm going to build my FTP and then I'm going to do some sprint workouts before like key races in case I'm in the break and I need sprint and like more of everything is better. It's like more of everything's not possible. So what do you think are some maybe tangenting off the simplicity, like how do athletes balance this with everything that is going on? Yeah. So yeah, that's exactly it. So, you know, we used to have one knob and that was FTP because yeah. that's what we understood. That's what yeah. we measured. That's what was in all the apps. And then 
experienced coaches and athletes started seeing like, well, you know, FTP is a good foundation for everybody, but there's just so many other pieces depending on the demands of the event and the strength and weaknesses of the athlete. And that's really like coaching, right? You know the goal, so you have to understand event demands and you know this athlete, hopefully where they're starting, what are their existing strengths and weaknesses. And so you're just trying to create a roadmap from where you're starting to your finish point and so every day you have to assess your progress towards that. So the simplicity side of things to me is right now, a lot of coaches and athletes, what they have to do is dig through all this data. We're collecting more and more data all the time, right? We know power, we know heart rate, we have efficiency metrics, we have variability metrics, we have acute training load, we have chronic training load, we have time and zones, we have all of these things. And so a coach is opening every single workout and looking at it and trying to like kind of semi-quantitatively put that information into their brain and look at the places where it is already being kind of quantified in, in, in a total for them and then making a decision. So for me, I think what the future is doing, what I'm trying to do in WKO with some of my own metrics is find everything that I was doing by looking at every single one of those workouts and saying, well, can I just put that into a number or, or a, a, a report that I can look at every day that tells me what I was finding out by going through all those workouts? So I think to myself, like with an athlete, what, what do I care about? And I'm, so you might create a report that says, you know, eight items or, or however many it is once you decide everything you want to look at, if it can be quantifiable and it is something that you're just doing repetitively over and over again, where you can save a lot of time. So maybe you just end up with a dashboard or a report or whatever you want to call it that says, today, this athlete is training more than usual. Their aerobic endurance and efficiency have gone up. Their glycolytic power and capacity have gone down. Their sprint power has stayed the same, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So now like all of those things that you're kind of trying to get at by looking through workouts and looking at metrics scattered or rails, you just have basically a list of like up, down, go, no go, mm -hmm. whatever. So let me ask you this. And I, if this is like too deep on like WKO proprietary stuff, just say so. But like one thing that I noticed and on the, I can't remember the dashboard tab or where it's like your, I actually texted to somebody, your physiological trends and your peak power trends. How do those, sometimes it'll be like down, 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 but then the power trends are up, up, up. And I'm like, but aren't these power trends part of a physi physiological system? How are they so counterintuitive? And sometimes it, it's not always obviously all down and all up, but that's just like a gross example, but it'll be like, I forget what they are. Maybe it's like 15 minute power is down, but FTP is up. And I'm like, Hmm. And there's just some, or like the sprint one. And, uh, I have to go look, but is there, I mean, it kind of goes back for those. Is there a way to, I guess it would depend on the date range that you're looking at, but unless you tested specific stuff, like, would you think you'd have to have specific testing protocols for this type of report or like, and even how, and maybe you're just saying it, you know, as an example, but like, how would it test aerobic efficiency of, you know, 
would it only pick, would it know to only pick out like endurance rides or, you know, I'm thinking if you went, I don't know, it just seems like there's so many variables. And this almost goes down the conversation of like AI that I was starting to have with Nate Pearson. I'm like, as coaches, we shouldn't be scared of AI. I'm going to make a post when Nate, I don't know if you saw their video, they like launched this new program. And he was like, sorry, coaches. And so I was like, Nate, have you had a coach? Like, come on, man. He's like, oh, well, it's not, it's only to pick workouts. There's definitely different things that coaches do, but it makes me think we kind of had a conversation very briefly of like, what can AI do? Where's the puck going with this stuff? And um, I don't know, can you delve deeper into that? Like, how would this even start to work? Because I just feel like there's so many variables with so many rides. I've been thinking about that a ton. And it's it's a huge story and it's a long ways off. Um, So where to start to make it make the most sense? (laughs) AI or machine learning, a lot of it is very currently, especially, is heavily invested in the opinions of the coach. Yes. So all you're doing is automating the decision-making process or opinions or biases of that coach. Whoever's programming it, you mean? Yeah, or whoever the coach is that they're talking to. Like in Trainer Roads, it's probably a lot of Chad's opinions and the yeah. way he coaches and his approaches. Like, how are you going to number choose? one beef, yeah. Yeah, so how are you going to choose? How is this AI choosing what workout to do tomorrow? And it's like, well, it's kind of automating using some inputs based on it's best guess on what Chad would do. Yeah. And so that's not necessarily a bad thing, but all you're doing is, you know, automating a coach, not actually like creating true AI about that's like looking at all of the infinite number of inputs we have for an athlete Mm -hmm. and outputting you what to do next. We are a long ways off from that. Everybody's going to be selling you that for the next few years. And we're not there yet. It's all going to be a lot of like filling in the gaps because kind of what you were getting at with testing protocols is, you know, you can, you, you can create AI that learns something about the stock market because the outputs happen every day. The outputs happen every second mm-hmm. for cyclists, for endurance athletes, the outputs don't happen that often. Mm-hmm. And even defining what the output is, is questionable. Like the end output is that the athlete reaches their goal. Yes. God, we've been on so many holes with this conversation. We assume their goal is to perform well in a race. And we assume they'll perform well in a race if powers at certain durations get higher or at a certain level. That's a lot of assumptions. Mm -hmm. So even getting to that, if an athlete is only putting out max efforts every few weeks as testing, it's so hard to like get real-time true AI into that. So instead of like going straight into the path of AI, it's more like the analysis side of it, of doing true like methodology or coach opinion neutral analysis to, to, to surface information about what is happening to this athlete, what this athlete has been doing and what their current state is. So then the coach can, instead of spending hours looking through files and digging through metrics, they can look at one kind of report that gives them a neutral assessment of the athlete. So then the coach can make the decision more quickly and spend more time on the art side of things, on the communication side of things, or even just having more athletes. 
And that's even like, I was, so I've been thinking more and more about like random scenarios and like, how would this work? And like, I had an athlete. So we'll go back to the basics, CTL, who it was Friday. He had a big race the next Saturday. So eight days away. The, that week he worked a lot. And so CTL was going down the week before he set like two lifetime PRs, like just flying. And I'm like, dude, this is great. He's going to be in great shape. We're going to do a hard workout on Tuesday, sharpen the sword, taper in, da, da, da. And I get the email on Monday and he's like, dude, CTL's tanking, need to ride more, uh, blah, 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 blah. And I'm trying to think of like, okay, how would the computer be like, okay, he just set two PRs 14 days ago and 16 days ago. Yeah, he's going positive, but he's going to, we have these two days planned. They could calculate that, but it's just like, there's so much to the art side of it that <clears throat> I emailed him back. I'm like, dude, you're good. No, more is not better now. And he, he, he didn't win, but he rode really well that weekend. And I just have a hard time. Yeah, I guess maybe we're just really far down the road. Like I just, I see us at like the training peaks conference with, a hundred coaches and you'd have to pull people. Hey, this is like scenario one. Are you doing A, B, C, D, or E? And like, there's gotta be a bell curve. And then there's people that are outside the bell. curve. Like, I just, I don't know. Maybe so, I'm overthinking. Maybe I'm caught up in all the metrics and I'm just like, this seems way too dense. It is. It is. And it's performance isn't correlated with anything it's correlated with everything <laughs> Dude, if i made like clips of like a trailer that's it right there <laughs> so like performance so it's, explain that though performance isn't correlated with anything it's correlated with everything like every that? smart every smart coach who had like you know took high school math or they're an engineer on the side or something starts thinking in this way and they, they want to say like okay what's the correlation between FTP and CTL? Mm -hmm. And so they, they, they come up with a chart and they see if there's a correlation, hoping that that'll say like, okay, if I want to have the, my best FTP, I, I should be aiming for the CTL. But it's just like, there's too many millions of other things to go into it to think like that. Mm -hmm. Those are paths that won't lead anywhere except to narrow-minded thinking or like, distracting you're not seeing the forest or the trees doing that so this is why i think again like you're never going to get training outputs from a good ai for a long long time until we can come up with a better way to define some of the outputs it'll really just have to be like here's all of this information we have we've we've consolidated into like tangible information about the athlete right now and so let me give an example in case someone's watching who's like, well, how, why is that not possible? Because I've actually, I had a conversation 10 years ago talking to somebody about like, how do we get this? Where's my highest power at what CTL, what was my TSB? And it could have been because I tested that day. Like it, it, that's exactly it. Your, your resolution will only be as close as the, the time that has passed between those inputs. Yes. So if you only test any given, any single duration, six weeks apart, that's how far apart two maxes come. Well, you don't know what leading up to that one, six weeks and leading up to that 
one the next time, you don't know which everything led to that. Like you don't know if you would have been hired the day before, the day after, and now you have to sit, define that for three different energy systems and another pseudo system. What's a pseudo system? I always call um. So this is where we get back to like fundamentals of like what information. Oh, it's like I almost don't want to ask this because I'm about to get in too deep. <laughs> this this is my terminology partly. So okay. things like we can back up a second and look at everybody's trying to get at this with things like zones. They're like, oh, I want to refine zones, and so they either end up like refining zones too far, or they come up with too many zones. They're like, oh, I have seven zones because, of, and it's like, well, what do zones really represent? They represent three energy systems: ATP, creatine phosphate glycolytic and aerobic metabolism in aerobic metabolism there's like the high end that's way more carbohydrate burning and the low end that's way more fat burning i kind of call that a pseudo system because they're both important to train okay and so instead of saying like here's what i picture in the future from like this simplicity the massive amount of information being manipulated in a way that can make things more simple is what if we no longer have zones in the future but you just know what an athlete's target power or heart rate should be, depending on which one of those systems you want to mm. approach on that day. So you could choose. You could say, I want to do an aerobic workout today, aerobic efficiency. And it would say their target power is this range. Mm-hmm. So now, and that drives people, that, that kind of scares some coaches because they're so used to saying like, oh, threshold and zones. But now it's like, letting go of a little bit of that like work you're putting into looking at all of this data and deciding what these zones are let the whatever the computer the ai we want to talk about look at all that data for you and then say here's what their target should be here maybe even is a suggested interval duration and recovery duration and then you could do that workout so now instead of spending all this time figuring out what all of the data for the past six weeks means about the workout you're going to plan for today, that's all being done. And then you can make that decision more quickly or focus on other things. So that would be interesting, especially because, and not to knock it, I'm not a huge optimized interval guy, mainly because just as a metric, a lot of people get obsessed with their one. They're like, I gotta, I gotta beat this. It didn't change. I'm doing it again. I'm like, dude, you're don't do that. And like intensive aerobic for me, I had a podcast with Grant Koontz um, and he was talking, he made the comment of like, you know, a lot of American racing is like this five to 12 minute power. Um, you know, it goes hard, it lays up, da, da, da. And I think that uh, another guy, James Walsh, we were talking about four by tens, like back in the day before all this, I was like, dude, four by 10, great workout, love to slay it, go harder than FTP, like felt good, felt like it made me fast. Intensive aerobic for most people like 20 plus. And I'm like, that's not really super intensive. And the, the, the jump from VO2, all max aerobic, their VO2 max stuff to this, to extensive. It's like a lot of people all look through their things and they're doing like, I got to beat extensive. I got to beat this 28 minute thing. And then I'm going to do what the max aerobic is. And then they're only doing these like three durations. Like, well, I haven't beat it and it hasn't changed. I'm like, Oh, this is what's your, what are you doing in your race? Like, well, there's this 10 minute climb. And I'm like, you're killing me here. Like go do some 10 minute stuff like, and around that. And that's the other thing. Like we, we talk about event specific and then what if somebody attacks a minute before the climb and 
if the climb is actually like falls flat at the top and you're still drilling afterwards and this 10 minute climb is 13 minutes. Like you can't, we, we try to like boil everything down so much now. And I think your point is very interesting about no zones because my head is about to explode, like polarized and, and just there's so much going on with it that it's like, even I found it very interesting when there's a paper by this guy, bossy and Tom gave me these bossy intervals to do. I might've mentioned it in one of our emails when we were talking about heart rate and power. And, uh, I'm like looking through this, like getting in my head what I'm doing. I'm like, cool. I'm going to go do these bossy intervals, VO2 max. I was like, oh, these are threshold bursts. Like just totally different name, same exact thing. And I was like, that's interesting. I've always been, I'm a huge fan of threshold bursts. I never considered the VO2 max component of it because your heart rate spikes. It obviously depends on how hard you go into VO2 max on the burst, or like if you spike it initially before you start doing the threshold portion, I'm like, man, it really kind of made me like reframe like, okay, zones, even though like a variable power VO2 max workout where you're like going super hard for the first two minutes. And then, yeah, your power might dip down to threshold, but you're not really training threshold. And it was a good like recalibration of like, okay, think about what's really physiologically happening, which is sounded horrible to myself to say, I was like, oh my God, like that should have happened five years ago. Like your brain should have already been thinking this way but it's easy to get caught up in zones and this person's in this zone and you got to do this percentage. And I think it's just like, everything gets so complicated. And I think I'm pretty basic. Like, you know, I don't have any of these like up, down, left, right, go to this cadence, flip back to this. Da, da, da. It's like, it should be, you should be able to remember it. Um, I do make workouts for people cause they love it, but I'm like, you should be able, it should just be like, I'm going to go do this X, Y, Z. And yeah, maybe you have to remember some power targets, but so how does this, so if AI, we kind of got an AI track, this is all sounding more complicated. Is the simplifying way further down the road or is there a way to simplify this now? And maybe a good question is that um, Patrick, who I coach with, had made the comment of, um, you know, what are some top ways that you could see using WKO helps the art of coaching beyond just individual metrics? And maybe it's like, the tagline of making it simpler for a coach because there's so, a lot of self-coach people out there too that have to be like i think i'm in an advantage because i see so many files and i see so many people if i was only looking at me it would be very confusing i think yeah i think we're a little ways away from lots of simplicity okay um probably because it's just a massive amount of data to look at mm -hmm. um, in, in something like really widely consumer available like training peaks in WKO, you have to invest the time to learn how to kind of make your own. This is yeah. this is part of the issue with WKO is it has a little bit of Tim and Tim's bias and a little bit of the history into that Coggin before him, the people who developed some of the foundations for that. They've done a good job of taking a lot of it out, but there's still some in there. The number of zones, which zones they think are important, like if you think threshold training is super important, that's going to influence the way you do that. So mm -hmm. that's why like using some of the default stuff in WKO, you're buying into, or you have to understand what, that there's a, a tiny bit of bias still baked into that. Or you have to say, I'm going to learn how to make all this stuff myself. And it's going to be not simple at first. It's going to be a huge investment in time. I'm basically going to be doing light programming. Yeah. Once it's done, 
maybe I'd save myself time there. So for me, I did this a lot with recovery. We kind of talked about this in one of the emails. I'm trying to, reco- I'm trying to simplify recovery metrics. Because going back to like my big picture for the future, what I think this stuff is going to look like. What is the athlete like? What is their event like? Who are they as an athlete or what do they enjoy doing? Well, that's a whole separate thing. Okay. What what is the athlete's, what is the athlete's current performance profile? I need to come up with a name before, before I can help training peaks invent it. But like, what is their kind of ability set? Okay which is a little bit of a longer term thing, you know, 90 days or something like that. Mm-hmm. What is the athlete's acute state right now? Mm-hmm. Which is something that we have only just started looking at in a multidimensional way with, and when we say, what is the athlete's state right now? What I'm saying is, what is their recovery status? And there's a lot of things that go into that. And then what is their event like? So eventually, what if we could put all of that stuff and show how they're lining up? So what I've done is I've started with recovery. And so I have a dashboard. I'm tracking HRV, resting heart rate. I just added sleep hours because I got a device that will track sleep hours and time in different sleep phases. And then um, subjective entries like uh, mood. mood. Mood motivation has been shown to be one of the highest correlated uh, subjective metrics to training success. But that's a ton of data, right? Especially when you get into HRV, looking at HRV, like that makes your head spin mm-hmm. because there's so many different submetrics in HRV. And then again, everybody has their own opinion. If you talk to Simon Wegeriff from iFleet or you talk to Marco Altini from HRV for training, their opinion on like how far out of range an HRV score should go before you say, no, I'm not going to train. They're, they're different from each other. So I made my own. So now I have a dashboard that looks at that day's HRV, resting heart rate, sleep hours, and mood. And all it tells me is if it's different from what the average has been for the past month. And so I get, I get like a, right now it's just binary. I get go or no go or red light, green light. (laughs) So if I see all red, no decision to make. I'm not training that day or that athlete isn't training that day. All green, then I'll probably move them forward. If it's mixed, now I know I have to dig in a little bit more. If I was smart, I would even go further and say like red, green, yellow. So I could just look at that immediately. Now I'm not looking at HRV values even. I don't even know what the, the, the number is. I'm just seeing if it's kind of out of range for what it should be. Yeah. So what if we had that? plus all of the training metrics that a person has all in one chart. And now you can make a decision. My biggest issue with heart rate. And it's funny because so an athlete sent this to me because I was like, dude, I'm not signing up for six months to try whoop. (laughs) (laughs) Even though I will say to whoop's credit, I think the sleep stage thing is very cool. Um, It is very interesting to, to learn what stages when you get your REM and when you get deep sleep. But Heart rate monitors are awful. It's like, you know, I just used your, your, the board you sent me for heart rate. And like, for one guy, I'm like, well, I know he didn't hit 210. This guy is 50. So there's like, then you had to go through the file. So it is data input output, but like, I don't know if I would always trust those. I would have to definitely, you obviously have to have clean data for everything, but that's interesting and so that's a big part of big data in general is cleaning like mm-hmm. it just has to be become part of the pipeline mm-hmm. so that's something that training peaks wko people like us or companies like us are going to have to start doing more and more cleverly is cleaning it a little bit 
I think resting and sleeping data tends to be better. And a little bit of the extremes kind of gets filtered out by okay. looking at it in, in this aggregate of like, well, what is, is my entire night's average heart rate compared to the past three weeks or something like that? It can, yeah, so there's definitely hardware reliance, there's definitely clean data issues that you always have to be aware of. I mean, I'm so pathetic because I remember there was some webinar that Tim Cusick said about when the thing to rate your mood and whenever it came up, he's like, yeah, we're going to have metrics. Like we're going to have something that comes out that uses that. So I started doing it and I was like thinking, I'm like, I'm kind of tired. I'm like, eh, I just tell training peaks I'm motivated. <laughs> just like, <laughs> dude, you're cheating yourself. This is so pathetic. I never coached that. I was like doing my own thing. I was like, that is sad, Brendan. Now I, so I like, <laughs> like when you ask an athlete, how are you doing? They're like, I'm great. Like I'm exhausted. <laughs> so in this in this in this perfect future world, yeah. a coach like you could go into Training Peaks or WKO or some future combined version and basically say, I think this is important. I think this is important. I think that I think four-minute power is important, or you could even hopefully it's at an energy system. You could say, I think VO2 max is important. I think threshold is important. I think heart rate is important. I think sleep is important. And maybe you don't care about HRV. You choose all of those and that creates your dashboard. And maybe even you could say, and this is the target event and it's a road race versus a time trial and it knows what the course is. Mm -hmm. And now it can start putting all that information together into something that helps you like spend more time on, on the, the less quantifiable or like tedious digging through decision makings. So, and that's the other thing too of like, okay, so like, talking about FTP work, um, over unders, it's like, is the athlete creating too much lactate? Is there issue with the hydrogen ions block? Like when they explode, is it because they can't clear the lactate or they're producing too much lactate? And is there ever going to be a way to understand that based on workouts that they do, or do they have to go into a lab and then like things with VO two max, um, you know, I know of an athlete that has a 93 VO2 max is not winning world tour races, but it has, he's done a lot of research into this with is a professional. And he's like, dude, it's just clearance of lactate is they think is my biggest issue. And it's like, he's like numbers off the charts, not winning world tour races. And obviously there's, then you could be like, dude, there's skill. There's all this other thing, but like, just didn't reach a level that if you're looking at just one metric. So there, there's just so much to this. This is in, appreciate you doing this, man. This is like, just opens up so many more um, thought. So this isn't the question with. you asked, but it brings up a good point. The movement from performance data to lab data really should only go one direction. And right now it goes both directions. Which way should it go? What I, mean, what I mean by that is like, we have this habit of trying to use power data or running pace data or whatever data we're looking at, real world mm -hmm. data we're collecting mm -hmm. that is very closely associated with the results we want and back calculating lab values from it. Because, because their names, like, like saying, oh, here's what we... Here's your estimated VO2 max. Okay. Here's your estimated VLA max. Here's your estimated fat max. What all of these things that can really only be measured in a lab, or saying, well, we can model it. And it drives me crazy. WKO does this. I know why. It's because they're concepts that people can understand easily, but that doesn't help anything. Like 
we came up with all of those lab metrics in the 70s because we didn't have power meters. Now we have power meters. We don't need to take a step backwards to like these extrapolated, estimated lab values. The lab values still have a place and it's where the power data ends. Like what you just said, there are limits to what we can get from actual performance data. Once you have reached the end of that with an athlete, now they probably need to get into a lab or get another device, a higher end device, like, um, like a future, um, like a human or a BSX, like those things that measure blood lactate or whatever fancy devices are going to exist in the future for measuring something beyond just power and heart rate. Maybe they'll need that. So this isn't the question you asked, but like, yes, you can get so much out of just power data and manipulating that. But then if you have another question, yeah, they'll probably have to go into a lab. So is that why it's always like it's modeled, not predictive? Like, what, and explain that for me. And I'm sure other people are asking this because I, I watch the web and I'm like, well, it's a model. It's not a prediction. But like we chase, <laughs> we shouldn't chase the PD curve. But you're looking like, ah, I got this whole day. I'm going to go and we test it, right? Like I'll have people test numbers after they come off of rest week, short stuff, um, shake out the cobwebs. Hey, you've got this big hole here in a minute. That's good to like, just go see what you can crank out. And the PD curve so, model, but why is it not predictive? So I'm not a applied mathematician, okay. so I may misspeak. Hopefully nobody writes in you, but that's okay. And I, that's dude, that's why I appreciate you going on this because you work for this brand and there are people that will not talk about this because someone has told me before, like, dude, I get the podcasts are like this kind of off the cuff nature, but like, I don't want to miss say something. I'm like, we're just having a conversation. Like, so, but yeah, I got what you said. So models can be predictive. Okay. In, in, in other domains in business, they have prediction models in physics and in biology, you can have predictive models for sure, but the PD curve is just not one of them. Okay. You create a model because when the actual data you have is too messy, to do the math you need to do on it. So if you look at the curve, it's a really simple function, right? It's a function that like a junior high school algebra class could probably talk about. They could do derivatives on it. They could do integrals on it. They could look at it. The actual mean max power data is not that. It's too messy. For one, like, so it's an idealized version. It's not- When you say too messy, meaning- what you're putting in is too messy? Like there's too many numbers? No, it's too like, um, it's not smooth enough. So okay. let's, yeah, as yeah. a good example, like um, like in the PD curve, there's, have you noticed that there's three inflection points? There's three points where it drastically changes the slope. Basically between the energy systems? Between all of the energy systems. That's the yeah. reason the PD curve is shaped the way it is. It, and that's true across every terrestrial mammal they all I, have the same pd curve i only know that because i enjoyed that was a pretty good uh webinar that tim put on and, yeah uh, talks about that i think at some point but if you look at so we can do math on that we can do simple calculus and look at that pd curve and say this is the cutoff between this and there's no cutoffs between energy systems we mm-hmm. can say here's the domain that's this energy system here's the domain that's this energy system you can do really simple math but math on a model but then have you looked at the actual mean max power data it's not smooth it's mm. lumpy 
Mm-hmm. And so you have to turn that like lumpy data that goes back up. Like, cause sometimes it goes up at a longer duration. That doesn't make any sense in like our basic understanding of how it works. So it's yeah. not predictive. It's idealized, I guess. It allows us to start doing the math on the data to come up with things like MFTP, FRC, and all the fun future things we'll be able to do. So, okay. So we talked about the recovery. How, so then let's, let's back up to the question of the AI is not there. The simplifying is not there yet. We're getting more terms, you know, VLA max glycolytic capacity. There's new dashboards coming out for someone that is trying to coach themselves would your well i don't want to put words in your mouth but when i think of it i'm like all right well how would we tell somebody here are our suggestions like that kind of goes back to the first thing you said where are you at where do you need to go how do they draw that line what do you think is a good pointer or couple if they come to mind that help people draw that i mean i think it's like okay vo2 max that's important how you know maybe they need to do that or should they compare themselves on the watts per kg chart and see like where they stack up versus maybe they've got a big race and there's maybe a 10 minute climb or, you know, it's a can of worms, but what would you say to somebody that's like, dude, I just want to get started. I just want to get better and I can't pay for a coach. Yeah. Paralysis by analysis is for sure a thing, but I think there's some value into going into everything Mm -hmm. for a little while because you start to recognize things that one, when things are too much the same, like, maybe you come up with two different metrics or you find two different metrics and you realize that they're both representing the same fundamental thing. Mm-hmm. And so you can just choose and it doesn't matter because all you care about is if it's going to go up or down. Okay. So dig into the data a little bit, get lost, find things that aren't useful. So you know how to throw them out, but be willing to throw things out. Look for things that all represent the same fundamental concept. Um, look for things that don't change. There's so many metrics we have that don't actually change. Like no matter what you do to them, they're, they're just like not that labile. So it's like, why, why are you What's that? Give me some. Fractional uh, utilization does not change in my book. That's what I was going to, that was one I was thinking about that you brought up. For some people, that's going to be useful. For highly, highly trained athletes, people who train a lot, even if they're amateurs, that's, that metric is not going to change very much. So I stopped looking at it because I know it's always going to be about the same. Mm -hmm. Um, For other athletes, maybe that will change a lot. So if you see a metric that's just like kind of always the same, maybe that's okay. When I switched me and my athletes to a more polarized training method, this Mm -hmm. is going to sound sacrilegious. I saw that their, all of their performance management metrics stopped, stopped changing. Like, so I stopped looking at TSB or anything in a performance manager because we always just train however much time they have. Mm-hmm. Um, and That's, then- that, that is a good point because I actually put a post up that when I had, it can be super misleading based on what you've done before. And if you've trained a lot more before like a race season starts, it can make things kind of wonky. And it, I, it's, it's given so much credit because it's like, it's more than one metric. It's TSB, it's CTL, but it, it, it's one thing. And that is incredible to hear you say that you're not even using it because it's so, I mean, 
ask Joe athlete, who's a cap three, he is honed in on that chart. And that is it. Those metrics still have a place for some people. Even that is something that's tied to methodology. If you're into periodization, true, and we always have to remember periodization is a pseudoscience. It's really more of a way of organizing our life and keeping athletes from going insane from doing the same thing over and over again. If you're into periodization and you're into lots of threshold work, then you do see lots of progression in those. So you maybe you do need to check that. If you're into polarized and you're just doing the same thing week over week, maybe you don't need to look at that, but maybe there's something else you need to look at. And the last thing I would tell them to look at is as soon as they start caring about a metric or seeing something that might be interesting, ask yourself, what decision would you make based on this? Mm. Like if it went up or if it went down or if it stayed the same, what would you do differently in your decision-making process? If you say, I don't know, maybe it's not an important metric. That's a good question. So let me ask you this and I'll let you go in 10 minutes. Um, when you go down the polarized camp or trajectory, let's say, and so do you feel that it is more repetitive as opposed to following a periodized type thing? And I, I got in this conversation with somebody like, you know, do, do you make the borders 65% VO2 max and 85% VO2 max? And I was kind of drawing up a, I, my training probably is in a grand scheme, somewhat polarized. But I was saying to somebody like, well, I do over-unders. And they're like, well, that's kind of like the intense side. There's still like tempo and threshold stuff. It's just like the big picture. And the conversation like pretty quickly got kind of gray. And I'm like, but see, this is my issue. Like it comes out as polarized. Here's the line. Here's the line. You're below this and you're above this. Stay away from the middle. But it's, I have a hard time buying into this concept. And I really not to knock the dude, but Siler was on the podcast on Velo News. And he's like, okay, I invented this so that athletes would stop going super hard all the time because they're not making the hard, hard enough, but then you can graduate to a five zone system. And I was like, dude, you just killed this. And so I think there's merit to it, but it's like, I'm in the sweet spot camp. No, I'm in the polarized camp. It's like, guys, we can all play together. Like I, th- I personally, my methodology, I think there's room for everything. It just depends on where you're at and where you're going. But what's your thought? And so do you see it more as repetitive stuff? Because I'm a, I, I love to train. I could do the same stuff for a few months. I don't know if I could do it all year, but to so get races, you, like, what do you mean by that? You've started a small philosophical discussion and a huge one. <laughs> The, the the small one is, and this isn't so much philosophical, I should say, like, one, yes, it's super repetitive. It's way more repetitive than using periodization. Um, so because you're going like, zone two, well, you're going zone one. And then what is it 20% of the time you're going? How do you set up the hard time? How do you what are you what are you doing for the hard time? So what I did is I, I tried to make it simple. Yeah. Um, I do four hard workouts every two weeks okay and then the rest of the time it's basically however much zone two riding i have time motivation and like health for zone one riding polarized zone one riding yeah traditional (laughs) zone two aerobic aerobic riding with some and i i try not to like be too it's mostly just riding but not too hard 
this was the other thing with like zones, um, you know, because then if you said the 65% VO2 max, that could actually be closer to like 80% FTP. And then you've got Christina's riding 80% FTP all the time because that's the high end and I should aim for the high end. And that's something that I, I'm not making fun of Christina. Like I'd probably do the same thing. Then I'm riding too hard on the easy parts, which is the whole point of polarized not to do that. So I was like, this is just the, okay. So then would you separate the four hard workouts just based on like, okay, either this person needs anaerobic capacity. We're doing that hard. Other people are going to need to work on VO2 max. We're doing that type of hard. Other people might need to work on like FTP stuff. Is that still considered hard or? So now you're, now you're kind of getting at the, this other part is what, like, why do we periodize? why do we do micro intervals? Why do we do over unders? Why do we do all this, this stuff? And you can like kind of back in some physiological reasons for it. Mm -hmm. But if we take a step back and say like, okay, Brendan, I have found the exact training plan for you to reach the goals you want. You have to ride inside every single day. You can't ride with your friends anymore. And you can do the same two workouts. Would you say, yes sweet perfect or would you go well i want to do as well as i can but yeah so that's like where the art of coaching really comes into it like athletes say and coaches think the goal is for them to perform at their best but that's not true it's to perform at their best within the box of the time i have available uh not sacrificing my family not sacrificing my career and still having some amount of fun that will keep me doing it for a while. This is why we see so many people reach like an elite cat one level over like a two year course in America and then burn out and never race their bike again mm. because they reach too hard for like flay, flaying themselves with like repetitive workouts. So some of the variability that we add in is entirely for entertainment purposes some of the periodization we add in is entirely for entertainment purposes. It's to keep our athletes from going crazy and hating the sport and firing us. Mm -hmm. Some of it we add in because when we talk about zones, when we talk about intensity, that's all metabolic. That's all like we are trying to get your energy systems tuned up, but that's not all there is to endurance sports. There's neuromuscular coordination and patterning. There's technique, there's efficiency, there's tolerance to variability and different types of so you have to layer all of that on top of it so you could start with this foundation of like i do tons of vo2 work kind of getting back to your original question for me based on the events i do and what i know i need to do i do basically all vo2 max intervals and as they i get closer to races or they start layering in i would add spikiness to those intervals to get used to the variability of the race that i'm going to do if I were coaching a time trialist, I might back out some of those VO2 max and workouts and add in something more like threshold just because they have to get used to the feeling. I don't think there's physiological value in threshold intervals, but I think there's pacing value. There's something to do with learning how to pace and learning how to like turn the pedals in the context of the race they're going to do. So depending on the situation for what that athlete has is how I would mix up the uh, like distribution of those workouts. And it's not entirely driven by the metabolic physiology. Man, we, 
It's awesome. Yeah. So Tom is not huge into like threshold stuff. He's into over-unders for the metabolic reasons. And I had this conversation with the two, two of the guys that I coach with, and we had said it was after somebody was talking about these intensive aerobic intervals. And I'm like, dude, most people are never in a race going 28 minutes full gas. Like it, unless they are, most people don't break away solo. Very few do. It's making the group, making the group, making the group, chasing down the one guy that tried to like, and so we started talking about this more and we're like, okay, so what does that mean for like their training? And um, it's just, and then there's kind of, I've sort of heard, and it's not really a delineation, but it seems like some people are so into the metabolic, like we're only doing this because this is physiological and race specificity doesn't matter. And I'm like, I don't necessarily understand that because isn't training what you're going to race like all these other things that you had mentioned like the patterning and whatnot i would feel like would be learned through simulating what you're actually going to go do on race day but also for this thing the brain like the time trial it's like how does this feel i'm okay i can do this and i mean yeah we open the can of worms and i'm like your brain it's so important and like the belief if you don't believe before you start the race, that you have a sh- chance of winning? You are not going to win unless you are in the wrong category and like a cat one racing cat fours. Yeah. So, so that, that like physiological, that metabolic thing, that's just the foundation. And so mm-hmm. intensity distribution, whether you're doing periodization or 80, 20 and how you refine that intensity using something like the PD curve, that's, that sounds so advanced to some people, but that's just the beginning. Yeah. And then you have to start going from there. Let me tell you a, a really obvious, or not obvious, a, a typical progression I go through with mountain bike racers. Yeah. Early in the season, really, really reaching VO2 max intervals. Like maybe not sure they can complete it. On erg mode in perfect environmental conditions, as cold as possible, as hydrated as possible, as fresh as possible. So that way, literally the only thing we're challenging is their ability to do the power. Once they can do that power several times, turn off erg mode. So they have to do it on their own. Once they can do it like that a few times, they have to do it outside or do it on Zwift on terrain mode. So now they have to like be able to do it when things are changing. Mm-hmm. Then do it in not perfect environmental conditions. Then do it with variability mixed in. So you're like building, and again, only one piece of that is metabolic. Everything mm-hmm. else is all the other demands of a race that probably an AI wouldn't be able to get at you have to be able to think about so maybe if we can take care of the bottom piece more quickly the coach can focus on the rest of it yeah yeah there was a lot of points in this and i don't want to like pick on ai just where ai is at there's a lot of points when you're talking like i can't do that there's like we're just not there yet there is that's interesting man uh dude cody i don't want to take up your whole night i could talk to you about this for this i'm i, I have miss, plenty i have plenty of time so i miss the training peaks meeting man because there were some conversations and things that came up that were just like amazing um so let me see if i had another last question here we might have to do this again i'm and we do some like open forums sometimes i'm going to send you uh an invite if you're around just like athletes or coaches show up and we had like maybe 14 or 15 people last time it was it was pretty good um what do you think about 
we talked about the oh heart rate versus power vo2 max which are you using i use i so my it man polarize this i hate to use polarize because it's so like trademark now but like polarized training like really makes something simple because you really only have to care about two intensity levels mm -hmm. so my intense intervals i use power everything below i use heart rate okay um for those intense intervals i use power because they're for me they're typically and my athletes are typically pretty short and heart heart rate can take a while to catch up you know it can be mm -hmm. 30 seconds i have hummingbird heart my threshold heart rate is so high it's, it's like 181 and my vo2 max heart rate isn't even really a thing it's basically the same it might be 183 but what that means is that on any given day i could be doing vo2 max intervals and my heart rate might not hit 177 yeah because of the so it, it, it would just be too hard for me to get useful information out of that i think for other people where like the distance between their endurance riding heart rate and their peak heart rate it is more even to their threshold heart rate in the middle. I think they might be able to use that more reliably. It doesn't work for me, so I stick with power. Um, do you get 95% VO2 max power when you do these? Because I've gone super deep, super hard. And like when I look at the chart, uh, like, and it's no. very, it's very odd. It's like there's some that I'm like, I go out and do the work. I'm like, oh man, the, the metric's gonna look sick. I'm like, what? Two minutes? Like, Dude, that was definitely quality. Like I went really deep. No, the cutoff I use that has actually come from some research is 85%. Of so that's another thing we were talking. So is 80, because that's what I was, that was my next question is then I started hearing that, no, you can, we don't really know, is it 85, is it 90, whatever, but above 85% VO2 max power is like, you're definitely getting something done. And it's, this is so interesting people, again, it goes back to that fundamental understanding of like, why do we have sweet spot? Why do we have tempo? Why do we have 85% of VO2 max? There are really only like two measurable physiological cutoffs when you're measuring these things. So they're all about the balance between getting the most work in that energy system as you can. Mm -hmm in the amount of time and still being able to recover enough and do the next day. Mm -hmm. So this is like why a lot of polarized training is shifting back down from tempo and threshold to zone two, mm -hmm. uh, traditional zone two, you know, mm -hmm. easy aerobic riding, not because something about riding tempo is bad, but because it makes you too tired to do it again the next day and again, the next day and again, the next day until you're building up to doing it four hours a day and five hours a day, because that's really where those huge efficiency gains come from. Okay. If you found a freak athlete that could recover, then yeah, their aerobic development should be done. They should be riding tempo five hours every single day. because they'll get a ton out of it. So that 85% is just kind of what people, there's nothing physiologically super meaningful about it. Uh, it's just what people have kind of looked at to say, like doing intervals at 85% is how you can basically shove the most oxygen through your system in a given workout. So then could you say that someone doesn't even need to be using like WKO because you're not gonna know what 85% VO2 max is necessarily because it's your power at VO2 max. It's not the 105 to 120%. Sure, 
should someone just simplify and look at 105% to 130% as VO2 max and get time in that zone? Is that going to be the same thing for them, you think? I, th- I think so. The, the, the issue is like, I mean, the issue is it yet. Yeah, are you defining like that ideal training zone from above or from below? And defining it from below can be tricky because then people might not necessarily be training hard enough mm-hmm. or it could end up being a super wide range. Um, mm-hmm. So th- this is the issue with like defining VO2 max training just based on threshold at all is that somebody's VO2 max might be 110%, somebody else's might be 106%. And if you give them both a workout at 108%, they're gonna have very different experiences. Right. So yeah, do, do they need to know VO2 max? No, what I think is, again, we're gonna move away from defining it off of anything except for just that person's existing power data. So it's somewhere in the range of like, what is their peak four to five minute power? Hopefully we'll be able to some smart, AI will be able to, AI will just be able to look at that and say like, here's, here's a good power range. Here's a good duration range for this person to like get the most out of it. How does WKO pick your power of VO2 max? Is that just a specified minute? No, it's not. It's, it's defined somewhere. It's, it's kind of hidden behind the VO2 max metric. Okay. Um, the, uh, Coggin and other people haven't been especially concerned with it being, it's published somewhere. Got it. But I it's like it, some algorithm of like. Yeah, it might even come out of the American College of Sports Medicine's estimation. Okay. It's just a way of looking. Yeah, you look at a couple of different power values and you can extrapolate it from there. Got it. Dude, I'm going to think of some more questions and we're going to have to do this again. This is awesome. This is people will definitely dig this. It's uh, it opens it. You know, I think it's good. Like questions they could answer to open more questions. But I think it's really. I mean, is the summary, like when you really try to synthesize or boil this down, like find out what's making someone faster and then either do a little bit more of it or again, it goes to your methodology. Like, do you need to vary it up? I mean, there's so many ways to go about this. I think it like, and I, I, I say it's cheesy, but like when we said like you're coaching somebody to do what they can do in a certain amount of time, not have their family hate them. Like I'm trying to coach people to happiness. Like, are you excited to go ride? Do you leave races? Like, yo, that was awesome. Are you happy at home? Like if that doesn't all work together, if this is like, I mean, the, the obvious thing is like, if this feels like a chore, we're totally missing the mark. Like this is supposed to be fun. This is probably not your job. This is why like AI will never really replace coaching because of stuff like that because again like the stated goal is to get faster but that's not the true goal the true goal is to like have fun doing it yeah unless i mean for some people it really is just to get faster but then they have a limited lifetime in it so an ai that can assess power data and tell them what to do to get faster won't be able to say like yeah but are you having fun i mean look at look at all the at any level cat four cat three cat two people who just exist at that level for years at a time and have a blast doing it because they get to do all of the different kinds of training and all of the different like things that make it fun. AI won't be able to replace that. All it'll be able to do is tell you like little pieces of that. And the other, like, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus because I think it's valid is for athletes that are less experienced or have a lot of room to grow they only need one thing. 
And that's I, consistency. Either by. Yes, dude. Just, so every, every AI methodology out there will work for an athlete that has enough room for improvement. And every coach will be a good coach for an athlete that has enough room for improvement. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these AIs or machine learning algorithms or adaptive training things that come out in the future are going to have a lot of success just because they're making an athlete do something mm -hmm. and they're, they're creating accountability. And a lot of coaches have success, even though they are maybe doing the best coaching, they're talking to their athlete, they're encouraging them. They're like, they're, they're being a person when they don't need an algorithm. So mm -hmm. yeah, there's a lot more to it than like the inputs and the outputs. It's, I'm glad that you said consistency. That's one, that's like my number one thing. And I always say, I'm like, I, I like all these podcasts, I'm like, people think I'm going to be paying these people to say these lines because something will come up. I'm like, yes, like pro cyclists just said this, like go ride your bike. But I think it's interesting. Frank Overton had made, he calls it like when someone burns too hot and Frank has seen way more athletes than I have seen, but it is very interesting when I pick up on the guy who we were talking about earlier, went to this race yeah, the reason he didn't win was he he missed the start. He's a cat four and was in the wrong like corralling. And he's like, I saw people I knew and they were like, the race was going. I was like, wait, what race? Oh my God, that's my race. And so like break went up the road. He caught like all these groups. Anyways, he was like, dude, had a blast. And I'm like, this dude's going to be doing this for a long time. So whereas you get the other guy who like flats out and it's like, dude, something was wrong. Like blah, blah, blah. And it's like, probably not going to be here that long. That's okay you're you're not happy so this is the this is the paradox of the ai thing the machine learning ai thing is that we have tons of people collecting more data than ever that are all average athletes and so we have all the inputs from them but with them anything makes them faster mm. at the other end of the spectrum we have elite athletes where very specific training will make a big difference with them. We have such a small number of them that we don't have enough data to build the AI off of that. Interesting, man. Oh, this is, I'm gonna post here, everybody post your questions or email them to me for Cody and we'll send him a 10 page barrage of things we wanna talk about. Dude, I love, you've clearly thought a lot about this. Um, meaning this isn't just like coaching training um let's do the intro i always say that this <laughs> is the i always say that this is the easiest question but it ends up sometimes being the hardest question who is cody stevenson oh life story <laughs> or current role all both <laughs> uh i love this is the hardest question everybody <laughs> is like oh man who am i uh Currently, education specialist and training philosoph philosophy advisor at Training Peaks. Awesome. Um, chronic overthinker while attempting to oversimplify. <laughs> mountain bike racer turned road racer turned wannabe scientist turned back to a mountain bike racer. I was gonna say went back to the mountain bike and you threw me off there for a second. I was like, wait a minute, road? I don't keep going. Yeah. So. Awesome, man. I think this is a good, I actually got to make dinner or else I would talk to you for the next two hours. Um, thank you so much for doing this. This is awesome. Yeah. Anytime. And, uh, 
I really am going to listen to some of these comments and then get some more questions. Once the guys that I coach with hear like just how open this conversation was, they're like, Oh my God, I want to be on that phone call with you. So, and thank you again, as always for helping me with random charts and questions and, 